Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wonderful and beautiful wine drinkers. Hope you're all well today and you have something nice and delicious to drink. I'm excited to talk about a fantastic wine growing country that the majority of us don't know anything about, and that is Brazil. So we always think of Brazil as the fun, crazy carnivals in February time, the Amazon forest, Caprinhas. But many people are unaware of the wines of Brazil. Right now, they are making fine wines that can compete with many around the world. The issue is many of it doesn't get exported. In fact, the majority is drunk inside Brazil. The Brazilians know how good their wine is and apparently they're keeping it to themselves. So I have a fantastic guest today. I have Carola de la Fuente, who is the brand ambassador in the UK and the whole of Europe for the Miolo winery in Brazil. I won't tell you anything about Miolo now if you don't know. You shall find out with our chat later in the podcast. So my question to you guys this week is, how many vines do you think are actually planted in Brazil? And how many hectolitres, how much wine are they actually producing there? Well, I will tell you one thing. They are the third largest producer in South America. I'm going to let you in on even more information and tell you Argentina is number one. Chile is number two. But I will tell you at the end of the show the actual data and the statistics so you can know a little bit more about the quantities. So stay tuned for that. Now, what I want to do now is talk a little bit of the history of Brazil and those wine regions that you can find. So looking at the history of the wines of Brazil, there is definitely a very big Italian heritage and that has made the biggest changes for them. However, going much further back, it was actually in 1532 that the Portuguese came in and actually they brought grapevines to Sao Paulo. So that's actually the first plantings. After that, it was the Jesuits that brought the Spanish vines across to the Rio Grande do Sol. Now, the Rio Grande do Sol is a state which is in the south of Brazil and basically produces 90% of the vines. So we're going to focus mainly on that region. So if you ever hear Rio Grande do Sol, that is the big state, but there are lots of little wine regions within that. So these Jesuits came in the 1600s, 1626 is their arrival time. Now then you had the Azores coming, settling in the 1700s. So they brought across great varieties from the Azores Islands, but also from Madeira. So you had all this going on before the Italians made their journey across. So then in the 1870s, that's really when winemaking was established. And that was established in the Serra Gaucha region. Now that is filled with the Italian immigrants and they were able to use their experience of terroir and understanding of winemaking to really get things going and it's interesting if you go there there's like an ancient Venetian uh, dialect still apparently there's also lots of German immigrants as well so there are little towns where people speak a really ancient German dialect and people who speak an ancient Italian dialect so I think it's very quaint so Serra Gaucha 
is where it has all really started from and is still today the place that we're going to massively focus on because that's where the best quality comes from. Talking of quality though, yes, in the 1800s they were there and they were starting it, but it's not actually until like the 1970s that people started really focusing, understanding, I guess, learning from the rest of the world and quality got better and better and better. Brazil really is making top quality wines. However, interestingly enough, 80% of the vines are American vines, which we don't consider the top quality. If you didn't already know, all the great varieties that you love, like Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc Merlot, they come from the Vitus vinifera vine. So that's a species of Vitus that is considered very superior and gives you all this delicious juice. The American vines are often foxy shall we say foxy flavors or musky and they are not superior so 80 percent of those grape varieties grow in brazil still grape varieties vitus labrusca is the species that that seems to reign in brazil and isabella and concord are the top two that get used they grow well there but of course that's not the grape varieties and the flavors that we're used to so it's with all this quality wine that's coming out of brazil now we are talking only 20 percent of the grapevines are planted to the vitus vinifera plant that we love okay so let's talk about the wine regions there is actually only six regions should you want to memorize them So I already talked about the Rio Grande do Sol state, which is we're going to focus on in a minute. There's actually only two wine regions out of that. Now, right in the far north, Carola is going to talk a little bit more about this region. It's called Valle de São Francisco. This is on the ninth parallel. That is insane, the ninth. So generally, wine regions, whether you're in the northern hemisphere or in the southern hemisphere, you typically find them between 30 degrees and 50 degrees, those parallels, not the ninth. Uh, This is super tropical. We're talking hilly, though. They are able to have two harvests a year. Again, we will talk about that with Corolla. So Muscat you'll find there, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Grenache, these kind of grape varieties. Now, the other region that actually we don't touch on is a region called Planalto Catarinense. So this is in Santa Catarina. It is actually just north of the whole region that we're going to talk about, the Rio Grande do Sol. So it's just north of there. This region actually is making pretty good Sauvignon Blancs and Pinot Noirs. It's all about kind of more tropical fruity whites and bigger, bolder reds. It's on a plateau, but it's quite high lying and you get this kind of more temperate climate. So not as hot as you might expect. They also, along with the Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, grow some Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Chardonnay and Malbec. And may I point out, it is Merlot and Chardonnay are the great varieties. This seem to be doing really, really well. But of course, Tanit, Cabernet Sauvignon, they're getting very good attention as well these days. Now, there is one really super new region that most people probably don't know anything about. I certainly didn't. Thank you, Google. Uh, it's called Campos de Cima de Serra. Now, Campos de Cima de Serra is just on the border of Santa Catarina and is north of Literally on the map, if you look at a wine map of Brazil, it is attached on top almost of the Serra Gaucha. Now, we've said the Serra Gaucha is the region. If you're going to learn one region, you want to know. This is brand new. It's filled with Portuguese varieties. So, uh, you know, if you think about Vino Verde, which is in right in the north of Portugal, you get all those lovely fresh whites, Alvarinho, uh, 
Trashedera, Arinto, Lorero, Asal. They even have the reds, Espadero, Vinjao. Um, so they have all these great varieties there. So ones that you may not have heard of. But the altitude is about 1,100 meters. So being a higher altitude and there's hills, it's a moderate climate, there's quite a lot of winds. So actually, they can produce some quite elegant reds and some aromatic whites. So I, I I have not tasted anything from this region. I can't imagine any of it's in the UK at the moment, but I kind of get the feeling that it will be producing potentially similar styles too up in the Vino Verde region of Portugal. So that's interesting. If anyone has been lucky enough to try that region, let me know. So now let's get to the main regions that are in the Rio Grande do Sol. So the Rio Grande do Sol, if you look at a map of Brazil, it borders onto Uruguay, okay? And actually, it's basically like a continuation of the Uruguay and Argentinian pampas. So think of loads of green hills and turning into kind of mountainous terrain. That's what you're getting. Now, right on the border of Uruguay, you're gonna find a wine region called Campania. Okay, and Campania, interestingly enough, is the same latitude as the Sahara Desert. <laughs> but it's actually temperate. So it's got a temperate climate, it's moderate, again, it's hilly, as I mentioned. And so actually they can make some concentrated reds. And where it is down here in the south, there's a lot less humidity, so they can make those more concentrated, fuller-bodied styles. You're gonna find that Tanit, no surprise, the Tanit, the great variety of Uruguay, uh, some Cabernet Sauvignon. They have Torriga Nacional, great variety from Portugal that does really, really well down there, along with some Chardonnay, Cavastramina, Sauvignon Blanc, Going slightly to the east of Campania, there's a very, very small region called Serra de Sureste. That's growing a little bit of Malfacilla, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc. It's actually a bit subtropical there. It's about 400 metres to 500 metres above sea level. And that's where it starts to get a little bit mountainous. And that region perhaps needs a little bit more time to develop. Then to finish off, we have Serra Gaucha. Now, this is basically the wine capital. What I haven't mentioned is sparkling wines rain. If it's not about, you know, Merlot perhaps, it is sparkling wines. And if you haven't tried a sparkling wine from Brazil, you absolutely should. And we're going to taste one with the chat with Corolla. So in fact, let's go across to that chat now. And let me tell you a little something about Miolo as I had to cut it the quality it went very strange and I was very unhappy with it so you missed the part of Kroll explaining that the estate was actually founded in 1897 so these guys have been around for quite a while with Italian immigrants uh, Giuseppe Miolo arriving in Brazil and planting lot 43 which you'll hear about in a little bit and that now has grown into about 50 million litres of wine and 1200 hectares of vineyards so let's go across to the chat now so thank you so much Carola for joining me today thanks to you Janina <laughs> bless you now I'm super excited as I've already mentioned we are talking about Miolo. So you look after Miolo and all their incredible wines in UK and Europe, right? So what took you to Brazil? What is the attraction of Brazilian wines? Well, we are a very particular country speaking about South America because, as you know, traditionally, uh, Argentina and Chile are the famous names speaking about South America. But if mm -hmm. we speak about 
history doing wine is Brazil and also Uruguay, countries that start at the same time. The family Miolo start to have vineyard in a particular area because mm -hmm. what is Bento Gonzalves, so it's all the, it's in Valle dos Vinedos. It's like a, it's considered like the Tuscany of, of Brazil. So it's an amazing place. If you want to have a, a city, like a famous city from Brazil, we will be Porto Alegre, the huge city. Yeah, close. that has an airport, and, doesn't and, it? That's, that's got a big... Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's where is the airport, exactly. And, and this, I want to say, state mm -hmm. is called Rio Grande do Sul. Oh, okay. Right. And okay. to get down to uh, the Valley dos Vinedos, it's about two hours, right, from the airport. So if people flew in, they could get to this area of wineries quite easily. Yes, exactly. Actually, it's less because uh, it depends the traffic. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> but but you can also do it uh, from the airport to, for example, Orvinia mm. in one hour or one hour twenty and something like also, that. Also, I suppose it depends on how good you are at driving um, above the speed limit as well. <laughs> so we'll say, yeah. true, if, true. so if you're a speedy Gonzalez, one hour and you could be drinking wine perfect we love yes, that exactly exactly <laughs> and in, a, in a place that is really honestly it's, it looks like Tuscany it's amazing I mean it's amazing the Tuscany of Brazil so this is the main region this is the main wine growing region of Brazil right Yes, it is the main region because also it's the historical and traditional region for production of wine. Okay. Um, all the, the region of Rio Grande del Sur, so all the, the state, mm -hmm. have different areas of production, but this one is the famous one. You also have Campaña Meridional and Campaña Central, where we also have vineyards. Mm -hmm. But Valeos Vinedos is, is like the place for the wine in Brazil, yeah. So talking of, you said, the Campania region, and obviously we've talked about Valle dos Vineos, this is all down in the south. The Campania is literally right yes. on Uruguay, right? Yes, you, so you have Campania Central and Campania Meridional. Ah, okay, so they're, they're very different wine regions? Uh, let's say yes, because uh, Campania Meridional is really bordered with Uruguay. Actually, okay. you have a city is very funny because half of the city and it, this is literal you have the central square mm -hmm. and half of the central square is from uruguay and half is from brazil no. so, really? and if you go and if you look like uh the how the central flag uh -huh. in the in the square uh -huh. and you go to the right which is brazil you have the famous area of production for us. And then if you go in the left, you have the Uruguayan. So, <laughs> hang on a minute. So you just, you can literally, you can do the whole left foot in one country, right foot in the other, right? Yes, exactly. And and it's like, you know, the, the joke, like one feet in Brazil, mm -hmm. one feet in Uruguay. This thing. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me more. So you have Libramento. So from the Uruguayan area, it's called Rivera. Mm -hmm. And from the Brazilian area, it's called uh, Libramento. Okay. And in the area of Libramento is where we have the, the winery Almaden. So winery Almaden mm -hmm. is one of the oldest wineries in this area. Okay. And it's a, a winery very particular because we produce great varieties that maybe will be unusual for people that don't know too much about Brazil, like Riesling. Okay. Actually, we, we produce a single vineyard there with a Riesling that is amazing. We also have extremely beautiful Tanat. Ah, um, so yes, and Tanat is obviously the, the red grape variety of Uruguay. And I have heard exactly, Brazil's exactly, doing some but, very good things with it. 
Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And in this area, we also have Syrahs, we have as well some Chardonnays. Yeah, we, we have a diversification. It's like a, a region where we can produce everything. Mm -hmm. So is it very mountainous or very hilly? Is it quite... You mentioned Riesling, so I'm assuming kind of higher altitude here. Perhaps. No, you know, no, it's not high altitude. I mean, no high altitude for South America. Mm. Remember South America, <laughs> when you speak a high altitude, you say 1,500, yes. <laughs> 1,300, like nothing. But it's like, it's hilly, you mm -hmm. have hills, but it's like, let's speak about 200 meters to 400 meters. It's normal. Okay. But also you have the, the seasons are, so summer is really hot. Okay. And winter is really cold. Ah, okay. So that's obviously down in the south, having very cold winters. But as I know, right, yes. if you go up uh, much, much further north, you've got Valle do San Francisco. Now, that must be, you know, you're getting yes. closer to the equator now. So what is it like, the difference between summer and winter up there in the north where you guys have vineyards? Well, so first of all, that just for you to, you because no one of these vineyards is close to the sea, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So speaking in particular about Valle of San Francisco, which is the closest city, is is like Bahia, for example, okay. or Recife. You have a, a desertic area mm -hmm. where we have two harvests during the year. You have two harvests okay? a year. So most of the, yes, latitude eight, mm -hmm. which is important. So these are the north vineyards in South America. Ah, these are the most which are these are the commercial ones. These are the most northern vineyards. In this, yes. wow, okay, so and remember, north for us in South America means hot, <laughs> very hot. Okay, so you have two harvests a year, which I, yes, you know, I read about in my wine books for tropical climates. Um, but I have to say, obviously, one thing that is a negative of two harvests a year is that often you don't get the concentration and the quality, do you find that you're getting really, you know, what is the quality of the grapes that are coming from up here in Valle do San Francisco? Remember, we don't have rains. Mm -hmm. So we, we keep the concentration. And what we do is have one harvest for white, used for only for white, and the second harvest used only for ah, red. So what you do is you actually kind of stop. So they can have two harvests, but you make sure certain vines still only go through one harvest. Yes, let's say like this. <laughs> so basically what we do is, because because it's very hot as well, remember uh -huh. you will have more residual sugar. Okay. So what we do is try to have the first harvest, which is at the beginning of the year, yeah. we will try to have really beginning of the year, speaking January, we will try to keep the grapes that we want to have more acidity. Mm -hmm. And then we move to the other white grapes where we want to have a little bit more residual sugar. Okay. Okay. And we keep longer the reds for have more maturity, okay? Okay, sure. And we also do something more with these grapes. We do sparklings. So we have around 12 labels of sparklings. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking about Charmat sparkling, not about traditional method. Okay. And all these Charmat sparklings, most of them are producing there. We also have, for example, low alcohol, frisante produced there. Uh, we use other grape varieties as well. We use a Moscato, we use a Grenache, we use Semillon. We really do a mixture about what we do with 
products there. That's, but yeah, that's super interesting, and it's really kind of, I guess, fun. Instead of having the one harvest a year, you've got so much more work you can do. Plus, the harvesting times are obviously quite clearly different. You're harvesting in January. It's, it's like it's like we have a South Hemisphere harvest at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year, and we have a North Hemisphere harvest at the second part of the year, but all in the South Hemisphere. <laughs> Love that. That keeps you super busy. So that's really interesting. So realistically, this crazy two-harvest vineyard area in the North is the only one in Brazil doing that officially, and then you and then everything else is right down in the South, just so for people to understand. Uh, yeah, I mean... Valle of San Francisco is the only wine production commercially in the north of South America. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wow. it's the north latitude. Mm-hmm. Then in Brazil, you also will have more south areas like Serra Gaucha, which is there in, in, next to Valle dos Vinedos. Mm-hmm. And then you will have Campaña Meridional, like we spoke before, and then we have Campaña Central. So in Campaña Central, in our case, mm-hmm. we produce wines more like in high quality. So, for example, ah, okay. Osa Maria is produced in this area. Okay. And actually, I think it's you mentioned fine wines. We haven't really yeah. touched on Miolo. Now, I can say that Miolo actually is the first Brazilian wine I ever tried. I got to taste a <laughs> Merlot from you guys. And this is going back years ago. And actually, okay. Merlot, would I be right, is that probably the number one red grape variety most planted in Brazil? Or has that changed now? Yeah, well, so Merlot coming from this traditional area, the same area we're coming or premium sparklings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is uh, in Vale dos Vinedos. Okay, so what we haven't looked at is... Miolo, this incredible family-owned, huge winery, right? You you guys are exporting more Brazilian wine than anyone else. Yeah, we we are, we are proud to say that we are number one producers in Brazil, and mm-hmm. we are number one exporters. Absolutely. From <laughs> and the sparkling wines you make are sensational. Actually, would would you say that the sparkling wines are more your flagship? Or would you say, I know that there's the Miolo Lot 43, which is a very special vineyard yes. area, which is a, I think it's a Merlot Cabernet blend, isn't it? Merlot Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes, it's Merlot Cabernet blend. And also, or Quinta do Ceibal is quite, Isturiga Nacional with Tinta Rodis is one of the famous labels. Is that from the same lot, Lot 43, or there's only... No, no, Lot okay. 43 coming from there, from Valle dos Vinedos. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, and these grapes are planted there. But from Campaña uh, Central, so from the, the winery Ceibal, mm-hmm. is coming Quinta do Ceibal. So oh, Turiga okay. Nacional is planted there. Wow, okay. And we also have a single vineyard there with Turiga Nacional. So it's one of our also proud grape varieties. Nice. So you have the grape variety from Portugal, Turiga Nacional. You have Tanit, the grape variety from Uruguay. Plus, of course, Riesling. It's yes. So it's a, it's a whole mixed bag. If somebody was to say, right, I'm going to try one style of wine from Miolo, would you say go for the sparkling or would you say go for the reds? Do you feel like one is... I don't want to say better. Do you feel like one represents Miolo a little bit more? Uh, I I have my sensation that because historically people identified red wines with other countries from South Mm -hmm. America, the space for us historically was with sparkling. We are very proud because honestly, I I think the, the sparkling that we have 
are amazing. But I, I also think that new consumers or consumers that want to investigate a little bit more about South America, Mm -hmm. they will feel really surprised about the red wines because acidity, quality, uh, smooth tannins, everything is there. Uh, we have a, a wine with a, a lot of character, but with a, a really nice elegance. Um, this is something that people need to discover. But probably, if you want to say, okay, but let's start with something with Brazil, would be sparkling, yes. <laughs> well, that seems like a lovely segue because I have in front of me a beautiful bottle of sparkling Miolo Brut Rosé. What do you have in front of you? Yes, I have mine as well, Janina. <laughs> oh, you have the same? What are the chances? So in that case, it's th that's absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Do you know, I'm going to try and open it, but I've realised that my, my hands are actually really sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's sliding it's sliding out of my hand sometimes I recognize that podcasts are great so that nobody can actually see what I'm doing so um we're, we're all good here um, so whilst whilst I'm opening up the Miolo if I can because whoa there we go that was beautiful can you talk us a little bit you obviously do charmat methods which you typically do from the north which is like they make in prosecco so quite quickly made no lees aging much more fruity and approachable and then you have traditional method yeah. which is certainly what we're having now right this root rosé is made exactly in the same way they would make with champagne so how many months does it spend on the lees get, getting those yeasty flavors uh, we spent 12 months basically 12 months, okay. on the lease. Mm -hmm. So I will give you an introduction about this sparkling if you don't Please. mind. Please. <laughs> and whilst you give me the introduction, <laughs> I shall drink it. Okay, that's brilliant. <laughs> so this is a, basically a 50% Chardonnay and 50% Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. We have acidity quite elegant because it's just between 5 and 6 grams of total acidity. Mm -hmm. um, it's brut. But it's, it's a brut quite fruity. So we have 12 grams of residual sugar. Uh, so it literally sits on the line. I did another episode on carver and sparkling. I did explain brut and below is up to 12 grams of residual sugar per litre. And then it goes into extra sex. So it just fits into brut. But actually, that really makes it quite approachable and round and delicious, <laughs> doesn't it? Right. It's, it's, it's because we the acid is so good that we, we mm -hmm. need to being the limit with residual sugar so we mm -hmm. can create this kind of circle in your mouth for keep everything in the complexity needed. Lovely. So the grapes coming from the Valle dos Vinedos and we are, well, in Valle dos Vinedos is a little bit more higher than in the south of the south. Okay. <laughs> so here we are around 600 meters, which is will be the highest in Brazil. Mm -hmm. We, what we do is like, uh, we do a harvest with 14 kilos cases. Mm -hmm. um, we do a first fermentation in the tank and mm -hmm. we have like a cold skin contact with 50% of the grapes. Oh, okay. And then we have uh, the second fermentation in the bottle as traditional method. Mm -hmm. All the, you know, the pupitres, the, the, the places for do the, the, ah, the... yes, the riddling, what's the, I'm just thinking now what you call it, uh, the riddling 
frame. Isn't that so funny? Yeah. It's where you put the bottles so they are at an angle and they are where people, if you were doing it manually, could riddle it. So, yeah, the, the riddling frame? Not sure exactly. Exactly. Not sure what you'd call it. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, then the, 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 it's a sparkling that we are, well, the color, as you can see it, people will not see because we don't have camera, but the color is quite uh, delicate. You have mm-hmm. like a, like a salmon, mix it with a, with a onion skin and and his pelage is super delicate. So we try to have this kind of sparkling that you want to drink more than one glass, you know? So I can confirm yes. <laughs> I confirm. Super elegant. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's a sparkling that also could be like five years for sure, five to ten years, keep uh, with a nice evolution. So so yeah. Mm. What I really like about it, you do have those lovely fruity red berries coming through, but actually there's really nice peachiness. There's almost a hint of, it's not just stone fruits, maybe even some, on the palate, orange peel coming through. It's actually, you said elegant, it's super fresh, and the the extra sweetness, I think, actually really does help. You said you wanted people to drink more than one glass? Yes, it's very soft, it's very approachable it's fruity at the same time sometimes I forget just fruity just sounds like a a bit of a boring word but that makes things tasty it's not too crisp it's not overly biscuity or sharp or it's much more about that voluptuousness of fruit and there's a lovely kind of mouthfeel it's like creaminess to it and I certainly do really like the color of the skin you said onion skin we were talking about that in the episode I did before on Provence uh, rosés, which are famous for their onion skin. It's very similar to that. What would you pair this with? So I I suggest two things mm-hmm. for pair. Uh, speaking about Brazilian dishes, Ooh. and then we can speak about uh, more English <laughs> things. But for Brazilian, for example, I, I like, uh, you know, the Pau de Queixo, which is like a, a small bowl of cheese bread, Brazilian okay. cheese bread. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's, uh, it's doing with tapioca flour. So okay. tapioca is a product that is quite popular in, in, in South America. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tapioca flour with a little bit of uh, milk, some butter, and a lot of cheese, basically. Oh, well, <laughs> and they are, they are amazing. But if not as well, you have something that also Brazilian called pastel de palmito. Okay. Which is like... A, Imagine a, a Cornish pastry. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cornish pastry, <laughs> but, yeah. But it's not. <laughs> Cornish pastry, no. but not. Okay, no, good, good. It's in my head. <laughs> no, it's like, a, it's basically, it's a, it's a dog that we do, like, um, mixing with cachaça as well. Okay. And then we, we do, like, a pastry and fill with uh, onion, tomato, persils, and herds of palm. It is also very popular in South America, especially in Brazil, and mm-hmm. cheese. And, and we fry this. Ah, fry. The acidity, mm-hmm. of course, this is going to go through, it's going to cut through all the kind of fried food, so that makes sense. But I think because of this extra fruitiness, I actually, I think it would go really just nicely with a cheese platter. You know, a cheese platter where you've got some quince, like the type of uh, fruit jam, you've got something that, and maybe some grapes, and you've got those slightly sweeter notes to go with different cheeses. I also feel like mozzarella balls. <laughs> I'm really feeling like this would go nicely with some mozzarella balls and some basil. Uh, I had a strawberry basil mozzarella salad on the weekend with some, <laughs> with some sweet balsamic reduction. And I think this would be 
perfect for it. That sweetness of the strawberries, the freshness, that's that balsamic reduction would be delish, especially considering this is such a perfect summer wine, right? Yeah. Mm. How much would this retail at, this Brut Rosé? So um, uh, basically this in, in a retail you will find, like say, approx 15 pounds. 15 pounds, that's great value. Yes. <laughs> it's stunning no, because yeah. just as you said, this is really, really soft and round and very, very gluggable. Um, but there's a, it, there's a nice complexity of different fruit, fruit flavours. So for 15 pounds, especially in the summer, because it's not so sharp and direct and linear you actually we talked about food pairings but you don't actually need it this is perfect in the heat sit down and just share a bottle with friends it's a really perfect yeah and, and, and something something that for me is a really value is that this a it's a traditional metal product it's not a share mat yeah. so the legacy that, that and the, the the complexity that you have in this sparkling from this range of price is almost impossible so I, I, I really appreciate the price quality in this product. Um, so what is the most, if people wanted to go for the most premium sparkling wine from Miolo, what one would they, would that be the Millesim? Well, Millesim is, is what you can find in UK. In Brazil, we also launched a new product at the beginning uh-huh. of the year. Okay. But Millesim, uh, yes, is, uh, is a sparkling that we do also Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, but it's not a rosé. So mm-hmm. it's traditional method. We're speaking about 12 months to 24 months in the lease, but it's also vintage. Mm-hmm. So we only produce Millesim a few years during um. uh yeah, ah, the, millesime, the millesime. That's a little yeah. bit, again, that sounds better than my millesime. I just, I just <laughs> my, the words that come out of my mouth are disgusting. Millesime, okay, miolo millesime. Okay, perfect. Like it, like it a lot. So people have to look for, for these kind of different wines, don't they? So yeah. what do you think, considering miolo is the largest family producing winery, basically the best winery in Brazil, what are your challenges getting that out to the market? Well, one of our big challenges is, is basically come from a, a country where most of people doesn't identify like a wine producer. So most of people mm-hmm. think in Brazil in beach, papagayos, uh, toucans, monkeys, <laughs> Amazona, <laughs> beer and caipirinha. <laughs> this is true. This is true. No in wine. Mm. <laughs> so... So this is sometimes it's one of our big, big challenge. But as I say, we have long tradition producing wine. Most of the consumer outside to Brazil don't know our wines basically because most of the production was for domestic market. Mm-hmm. So historically, it's 80% of our production go to domestic market. So oh, okay. That's this is one lot. of the things. Mm. Yeah. Do Brazilian people drink a lot of wine then? Yes. Yes, in fact. The consumer in Brazil changed a little bit, like in the past was England. You know, in the 70s, mm-hmm. when in England probably people doesn't consume a lot of wine, was more close to the beer or cider or other kind of things. Mm-hmm. Brazil consumer was exactly the same until the 90s. So it's, it's just the last 20 years when they, they did a, a change. Mm-hmm. And we also are proud to say that our third generation, so Adriano Miro, which is the actual director of the winery, is one of the persons that really did a change in the way to think wine in Brazil for domestic market as well for export, but for domestic market in particular. How comes? Was he just the voice or...? 
it's like he the investment that he did about high quality ah, okay. is is incredible so for example speaking about lot 43 which is a blend that you mentioned before Cabernet Sauvignon mm -hmm. Merlot is a blend that we start to do with Michel Roland so mm -hmm. he was the only Brazilian producer that decided to work with flyway makers oh, okay the first one famous one like Michel that yeah you know in other countries of, of South America or in other countries does Michel Roland still consult for you now he's close to the lot 43 uh, mm -hmm. and the Seis Marias Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, Seis Marias is our top product. We are not yet in UK with this. No. One, but Seis Marias is a <laughs> Seis Marias is the blend of five different grape varieties that need to have hundred percent quality for arrive to the final product. So um, okay. it's not every year. Mm -hmm. So 2018 will arrive on term to have Seis Marias, but it's not every year that we produce, and it's something yeah superior. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand. So, okay, so it's nice that, so for anybody who doesn't know Monsieur Roland, people should Google him and see the amount of properties that he has uh, consulted on. But he's actually, in terms of South America as well, really changed, I think, not necessarily just the style, but he's really uplifted quality to a point that people have been able to export their wines and it has made some big differences. So, okay, that's really interesting that you guys have Michel Roland still. Yeah. Mm. And then speaking about technology in, and how quality or properties have the same standards that uh, that the most famous wineries in the world and also for example we are the first winery to be a vegan uh, from brazil 100 percent ah, vegan when did you go 100 percent vegan on march last march the march uh, just this year yeah so we we have the certificate from the the vegan society from, okay from yep. here from uk you are now certified vegan okay it was that yes. was that a hard transition or had you kind of been finding the wines a lot of the time with Earth products or more vegan well, products anyway. Well, it was a hard work. Remember, we coming from from a country where <laughs> you like me, the, the the vegan thinking, yeah, or the, the vegan standard is mm. not something usual. It's not like in Europe. Yeah, so okay. it was a hard work. We are very proud of our technical team. They are mm. amazing. They amazing what they did. Yeah, we did a, a lot of little change for yeah. arrive to this, and we are super proud because ah. yeah, this. Very important for us. Yes. Yeah, and just to, just to recap for anyone who wants to know how wine is vegan, we are talking about the fining process and how you, I wouldn't use the word clean, but how you put something through the wine to, to take out maybe particles and things that might make the wine cloudy or whatever. And you can use such things as eating glass, which is fish bladder. People always get a bit freaked out by that. <laughs> you can use egg whites, which of course is then vegetarian, or you can use things like bentonite clay, which I presume um, is what you guys use to make it completely vegan. So yeah, well done you. At the end of the day, it's, it, that makes you far more current. So you're not only the best producer in Brazil, you're also completely vegan as well, which kind of really ticks another box, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any new exciting products that they're coming out with at the moment or it is vegan is the focus at the moment? Well, we have, yeah, we have new products. We have low alcohol sparklings, uh, but ah. frisante. Mm -hmm. So and they are they are natural low alcohol so they are not desalkolized. We have a white and a rosé with uh, seven point five alcohol. 
That's actually quite useful considering, again, people are looking for lower alcohol versions. Although I do imagine there's a lot more sugar in the uh, Well, it's sugar, but it's not super high in sugar. We okay. are speaking about 20, 25 grams of sugar. Okay, yeah. And it's like Charmat method. So you will have like a pearlash. It's really, the bubble is not like a proper sparkling. Mm -hmm. So we have low alcohol, low sugar, yeah. but so. sweetness, but with some bubbles. Okay, really nice to know. These are these are two new products, and then other product that we are super proud as well is that Agamai Nouveau, so a, a wild fermented zero percent SO two Gamay. Ah, that, so you basically uh, pretty natural standards then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like a Beaujolais Nouveau, but okay, Gamay <laughs> Nouveau yeah. from us. Okay. Harvest 2020, so... Fab. Gamay Nouveau from Brazil yes. with zero yes. added sulfur. Yes. Okay. Yes. Lots of new exciting things. Yes. Love that. Yeah. So these are the, the new, new products. <laughs> and just to finish off, the winery, I know you have four wineries across Brazil, but the, the main one is the Miolo Winery, which is in Valle dos Vineos. Yes. I've seen the picture of it on, on your website, and I mean, oh, it just looks stunning. It looks really big and really grand. Is this a winery that people can come and visit? Yes, this is a, the winery that most people come to visit because also mm. we have a beautiful wine garden. We have attractions. Oh, attractions? What type? <laughs> I mean, you, you can come into the picnics. We have sometimes aerostatic ball. Mm -hmm. We have also, well, different, different activities for the tourists. So we have okay. a very nice tourist department that you can come into harvest. We also have activities for people to to do his own wine or um, <laughs> I can come and I can make my own wine yes and you also can have one day for example learning to test wine or things like this ah. so so the the activities that you can do in the winery are amazing the city around the winery so the town sorry have a really good gastronomic proposal and also mm. you have a few hotels one in special really nice just next door to the winery where are all lot 43 vineyards with spa and this kind of thing spa. <laughs> all right so let me just to conclude if we drive yeah. really really fast from the airport we might even get to the winery within an hour hour and 20 yes. minutes we can go for a spa we can make yes. our own wine have a yeah. nice little picnic obviously get a tan because the weather will be delicious and yeah. drink incredible Let's, well, let's go with sparkling because, you know, the weather's hot. That's what I'm going to want. Beautiful sparkling. Or maybe a Riesling. That's basically what you're telling us, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, Boom. yeah. It's, and, and, <laughs> and you will be surprised about you what you will find there because this part of Brazil is really different of, of what people have in his mind. This is Gauchos and, and, and it's a beautiful area. Beautiful. So, yeah. Hope, hope you can come in. <laughs> yes, please. So we're talking, we are talking hills and green. Yes. Yes, hills. Really, imagine Tuscany. Go think oh, in yes. your mind Tuscany with these highs and up, highs and up, and, oh. and these uh, trees, uh, you know, pines and this kind of thing. It's flat. <sighs> so it's exactly the same. Okay, this is another flight I need to book. Fine, you've twisted my arm. <laughs> I am coming. Um, so for everybody who, when we can fly again or it's possible, get yourself to the Porto Alegre Airport and then you can head over to the Valle de Vinedos. Go check out Miolo. If you are not able to fly, this delicious Miolo Brut Rosé is so easy drinking right now. 
Go at least get a bottle of that. Close your eyes and just look at pictures on the internet. How's that? <laughs> brilliant. I'm brilliant, Danina. Oh. Oh. Carola, thank you so much. I really appreciate us taking us on a little bit of a journey and just introducing us to the, the wines of Brazil, which I think we all need to crack on with and, and get trying. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks to you, Janina, for this opportunity. Very happy to to the, the interview you just made to us. And I hope everyone can enjoy of sparkling, especially during this summer, beautiful summer for be outside and take care, but be outside and enjoy the weather. Take care, be outside and drink and drink Miolo. That's the words of advice. Right? Yes. <laughs> thank you, Carola. As uh, Carola explained, the Serra Gaucha region, and specifically Valle dos Viñedos, it looks like Tuscany. It is a little Europe that has been stuck on to South America. So if anybody is interested, there is actually a really good website, www.valledosviñedos.com.br. You can get a map of the wine route. They're actually really prepared for people to go and see them. Anyone is going to go and visit the wine regions in Brazil. This is the one to go for. So in the Serra Gaucha region, Valle dos Viñedos is the first Appellation of origin. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of the quality. On average, we're talking about 742 meters altitude, so a little bit higher. Interestingly enough, only 26% of that region is planted. So 43% is forest, but there is still 31% to plant. So this region, I can only assume, is going to grow and get even more interesting. Currently, there are 30 wineries in the area to visit, so I'll keep you busy. And just to give you an idea of location as well, I should mention, this is on the 29th parallel. If you're going to stay there, Bento Gonzalez, as Carol already mentioned, is the wine town. It's right on the edge of the Valle dos Viñedos. But do be prepared for rain because this is the rainiest region. We're talking about 1,800 millimetres of rain a year. So that's a lot. <laughs> but that is obviously what helps get the quality of the grapes. So I'll see you in Valle dos Viñedos. So in answer to the question about volume and vines, I can say thank you to Amanda Barnes, an amazing wine writer who writes the South American Wine Guide. You can look it up on the internet and she has put together some statistics. So it's really interesting to see that in Brazil, this is in 2017, by the way, in Brazil, they're growing 85,000 hectares of vines and making 3.4 million hectolitres of juice. So if we compare that to the number one, which is Argentina, they have 224,000 hectares of vines and 11.8 million hectolitres. So there's your comparison. I have looked up online today, there is apparently 90,000 hectares of vines. So they've grown by an extra 5,000 since 2017. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But that is where you are. They're basically producing about a quarter of what Argentina produces, but they are the third largest producer in South America, as mentioned at the beginning of the show. So I wonder if you happen to know that already. I want to finish today with a really nice wine quote from D.H. Lawrence, who is an English writer and poet. Sadly, I could not find any Brazilian writers who had any wonderful wine quotes. But this one says, If we sip the wine, we find dreams coming upon us out of the imminent night. 
So I hope you sleep well and dream of all that delicious wine. If you've liked the episode, remember to subscribe, share, leave me a comment. I will make sure all of the valleys, the regions that we've mentioned are on the show notes so you can look them up yourself. And I'll see you again on another episode of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat. Cheers to you.